Stream and game privately with no slowing you down. Visit spidervpn.org. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Green and Mulder show here on Newcastle Fans TV. It is the best podcast in the world, isn't it, Sam? Um, bracket. Um, is it? I don't know. Yeah, okay. I mean, that, whatever answer I give now, it's not going to be a convincing <laughs> one, is it? So we'll go, yeah, sure, why not? Yeah, well, we're just. I think we're just kind of boosting our own egos a little bit, but it's, it's, a, it's an all right podcast. It's an all right podcast. <laughs> You've gone from best in the world to, yeah, it's all right. It's all right, yeah. But talk, we're talking about a bloke that does another podcast, and that's who I interview with today, and that is uh, Andrew Musgrove, who works for The Chronicle. I'm actually going to get his proper title, actually. There's one second. His proper title is... Football Multimedia and Engagement and Podcast Editor. And the podcast he does, is a part of, is the Everything is Black and White podcast, which we thoroughly recommend. Obviously, Sam, you mentioned uh, the Everything is Black and White podcast. And um, what's the one that you mentioned? Oh, Pod on the Time. Pod on the Time, so yes. I can yeah, those, the, those, are, those are the two I, I listen to. Um, yeah, very good. I mean, I, I, I tell him to his face um, in the interview itself, so so you'll hear about it then. But yeah, do go and check it out. There's some um, a real kind of diverse and really kind of eye-opening stuff on there as well. That's it's a good variety um, of everything on, on that podcast. Andrew does a really good job with it. So um, if you haven't already, I'm sure you already have if, you, if, you, if you're listening to us. But yeah, if you haven't already, go and check it out. There's some good stuff on there. There is. And Andrew's been a part of the Chronicle since December 2016. So you would have seen uh, like sort of the championship season. Obviously, you mentioned the Burton game. And obviously, it's very difficult to go to Burton and win. We've, we've, we know some people that find it very difficult to get wins against Burton over the years. True that. Um, but he talks about takeover and that is probably what the biggest part of this um podcast because on the 14th of april um andrew did a lot of digging and it was about six months worth of digging in the end um to get documents on, on how close this newcastle takeover was while speaking to the department of culture media and sports and it was a lot of hard work in the end for him wasn't it sam yeah um six months of going back and, and he talked very candidly and openly about it and, and what he found out. Um, I imagine it was kind of a huge personal moment for him because it's such a huge story and it's dominated Newcastle fans' kind of mindsets for the best part of 12, well, more than 12 months now, hasn't it? So to get um, some documentation about the discussions that went on between Premier League government and and this that and the other it's um really really eye opening really eye opening and, and and credit to him for for per, persevering and persisting when um he was met with some brick walls along the way. It's one of those things you try try and try again and if you get knocked down six times get up in the seventh time and you you might get somewhere and that works with uh, Andrew so big. Well done to him, as we mentioned on the show. Uh, before we continue, we must mention a big thanks to one of our sponsors, Beer52, uh, beer52.com forward slash NFTV for a free case of any beer, ales, lager, IPAs for just the price of package and postage, which is around about £5.95. So if you want to get onto that, the website is www.beer52.com forward slash NFTV. Um, just before we, we finish this uh, introduction, Sam, uh, Joe Willock 
gets a big mention and obviously scored um, against Liverpool. I think we should probably both tell our listeners um, how we both watched and uh, watched the game because we were talking about it before we spoke to Andrew um, about two different scenarios or two different cases of how we actually seen the score because as you were probably aware on Newcastle fans TV, me and Sam weren't actually involved on the videos on Saturday due to work commitments. Um, but Sam, yours is quite interesting and so is mine. So I'll let you start with your... Um, let's say you and your work colleague were very interested <laughs> in this result. Yeah, yeah, young Elliot, bless him. Liverpool, big Liverpool fan, wanted his team to win to keep the hopes alive of the, the top four and he was he was very nervous, not with Liverpool not putting the game to bed and... Obviously, Callum Wilson scoring, I'll give it the big one, and then completely 180 degree of emotions in the space of a minute when the goal gets disallowed and Liverpool look like they're going to see it out. And then, of course, Willock pops up in the 95th, 96th minute, whatever it was, and sheer ecstasy for us at nicking the point against the, the reigning champions. And then, bless him, Elliot was gutted because... You have to say for Liverpool now, with, with what's been a horrendous defending season, um, on and off the pitch, defending-wise, um, they're not going to be playing in the Champions League at all next year. You know I've still, still got a sneaky suspicion that they might just do it, you know. Oh, no. Because, just yeah. because of Chelsea's last five games are quite interesting, I think. It's got to play Man City, Arsenal and Leicester. So... Mm. So I don't know. I, I just I just, I just have a funny feeling. They might, they might, but who knows? Um, but for myself, I finished. I, I normally on a Saturday, uh, I was given the seven till three shift. So I thought oh, I missed the whole game, but it was so quiet where I work. Um, at about twenty to two, quarter to two, I thought I'd chance any chance I can get an early finish. I managed to get one at two o'clock. So I thought I'd run up to, <laughs> to my parents' home, which is a bit closer to mine. And I thought, but it's just over a mile, so I ran it. And I got back with about 86 minutes, 30 seconds, I got when I walked in the door, uh, sweating, um, because it was a bit cold. But by the time I got back, it was quite warm. Um, and obviously seeing all the best bits. Joe Willick scoring, Callum Wilson scoring, me giving it the big end, then my brother laughing at us, because Callum Wilson didn't score. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, 1-1 in the end, and it's uh, a good result. And we do talk about the newcastle Liverpool game. A couple of players in particular, we mentioned Joe Willard, but John Joe Shaw, he gets a mention as well. Um, there's a good debate between myself, Sam, and Andrew Musgrove. And I think that's where we'll end the introduction and we'll get the main event on. So, it is the Green and More on the show, and it's with Andrew Musgrove. Hello everyone, welcome back to the Greenwood and Mullen Show here on Newcastle Fans TV. Alongside myself, Jonathan Green, and my co-host Sam Mullen. Today we have the Evening Chronicles... Everything is Black and White's podcast editor, Andrew Musgrove. Andrew, welcome to the Green Mullen Show here on Newcastle Fans TV. Thank you for having me on. How are you guys doing? Very good, good. very good. Um, let's plug the podcast straight away, Andrew, the Everything is Black and White podcast. Um, why is that podcast so popular? Because it just seems to be a little bit different. Just get, literally talking all things Newcastle is normal. There's loads of podcasts out there, but why does yours do so well, do you think? I think uh, people like the opinion of our writers, the likes of Lee Ryder, Mark Douglas. We get uh, quite a few good guests on. I know you've had uh, the likes of Simon Bird on and, and, and Luke Edwards and such. And, you know, they like to come on ours. And I think we just, we do quite a few during the week as well. And I think people just like the kind of the, 
the rate that we get them out there, but also we're not just doing it for doing sake. We've got, you know, we, we can bring analysis, opinion, breaking news. It's kind of, uh, we, you know, we just do a lot of different stuff. And we've got the likes of Gibbles Corner, which is very popular as well. That's my most, that's my favourite episode to do because you can sit, I say you sit down for an hour with John Gibson. We recorded one last Wednesday in my back garden. It was meant to be an hour and it took about two hours, 20 minutes. Um, but you just get lost in his stories. It's absolutely brilliant. And then we've started doing a bit of long-form documentary podcasts, which we've got an award for um, recently, which was really nice. And we've uh, we just done a, I just released another one on uh, 12 months with our fans at St James's Park. And, uh, you know, we spoke to just season ticket holders, you know, like Spoozy, uh Newcastle's Matthew Raysbeck, just to kind of find out what it's been like really the last 12 months. And it's gone down pretty well. I think people have found it a little bit emotional listening to fans and how they've coped over the last 12 months because, you know, at the end of the day, we're all fans and we're all, we're all missing it despite the, the results and the performances. We're all missing that match day, aren't we? Uh, there's been a few times this season where I thought, bloody hell, I'm glad I haven't trekked 220 miles to watch that. <laughs> but, um, yeah, Everything is Black and White podcast it is one of my favourite. I mean, that and Pod on the Tyne are my two favourites, personally, because it's just got a bit of everything. I remember listening to, to one episode in particular um, it was, I can tell you the day I listened to it, it was when we were allowed in grounds and it was when we lost to uh, Villa 2-0. And you had um, the guys on about XG, expected goals. Now, before I listened to that episode, I thought XG was a load of absolute guff. But then listen, after listening to that, I take notice of XG now. And, and it's, one, <laughs> it's one of the big stats. So it's it's it's, it's one I love. It's it's because you don't always just go for the, the pure obvious guests, really, do you? It's it's a nice it's it's a nice mix. I appreciate that. No, yeah, they were good guys. They're from our central team and they're very popular down on the Liverpool podcast, as you could probably imagine from their their accents. Um and yeah, they they did offer something different. I think that's the important thing as well. The podcast game for Newcastle United fans is absolutely brilliant. You've got you guys, you know, you've got like Gallagher Charts, True Faith. It's it's brilliant to see a really healthy, competitive podcast market out there. And I think everyone kind of builds a good picture for Newcastle United fans and everyone will have their favourite, but it's just nice to be in a in a in good company, really. Yeah, yeah. Like you say, the, the podcast game for Newcastle United is really, really strong and we can only echo that yet. Um, but you've been with the Chronicle since December 2016, Andrew. Um, firstly, how did that role come about? And were you nervous when you first accepted the role? Because obviously the Chronicle and Newcastle United almost comes hand in hand, doesn't it? Yeah, so I was working down in, in Burton as a news reporter. Um, and I'd done that for nearly just over two years and it was just time to come home and this job popped up and I... I went for it. I never, after doing two years of news, I, I thought I didn't, I, I couldn't see myself getting into sport. I'd covered a few games for Burton when people had been away. And, um, I was there for when Burton clinched promotion to to the championship with a last minute, uh, a last minute uh, equaliser. Was it? I think equaliser. Tommy Naylor headed one in, and you saw old guys who'd been covering Burton from the leagues that you haven't even heard of falling down the stairs in elation because they were seeing their team get up to the championship. It was brilliant. Um, but now I thought I wanted to do it full time. I'd always wanted to work for the Chronicle. You know, that's always I've, all I've ever wanted to do. Um, and then I went, had the job. The guys were great. And yeah, it was just a case of then moving back home and settling in. But it's a big responsibility. And, you know, it's not lost to me what a privileged role it is to be, you know, here working for the Chronicle, but covering Newcastle United as well. And it fitted nicely because my last day in Burton was Newcastle's trip to Burton Albion. When uh, the army 
I think it was Dwight Gale scored, and I'd managed yeah. to. Uh, my parents were in the home end because they were picking my helping us pick my stuff up and bring it back in Newcastle, and uh, I was I managed to wing myself into the Pirelli box, so I had a nice uh, a nice send off. I met uh, met Waffy and uh, Lee Lee Ryder for the first time, um, uh, and I started on the Monday. But I'd also had a uh, I had the uh, I had a story and before the Burton game it was an interview with Kevin Keegan because ironically he'd been down at Burton doing doing one of his talk shows. Uh, a couple of weeks before, so it was uh, it just oh, everything fitted perfectly because you know Kevin Keegan talking about Newcastle. It was, I mean, that was surreal in itself as well, just to be in the same room as Kevin Keegan and just having a nice ten minute chat with him. It was, uh, yeah, it was a good start. I can imagine. I mean, I've been to watch Burton, Johnny. You won't know this because um, it's it's only about fifty minutes from me, and it was they were playing Torquay. It was three three, and Burton's club shop at the ground is about the size of your downstairs bathroom. (laughs) (laughs) You go in, there's a box of old programmes on the floor, and then there's some match-worn shirts hanging up, and that's it. It's brilliant. It's a proper old-style little football club. I love that. I will will say, the investment they've had recently in the stadium is like, it's what it is now is unbelievable. It's a really nice stadium. You know, they've been doing... What's been great, they've been doing... uh, Letting people get vaccines out and stuff, and before lockdown, they were doing... Uh, prostate cancer screenings and stuff. It's a proper community club where the chairman just does everything for Burton. Like you know, he's he, you know he just puts the community at the, the heart of everything, and he's he's an absolute asset to that club. Uh, his daughter actually just left and gone to Wrexham, uh, handpicked, I believe, by uh, Mr. Reynolds. Is it yeah, Ryan Reynolds and uh, his yeah. uh, his corner. So that speaks volumes about what's happened at Burton for Flair, who was who was who's uh, Ben's daughter to get. Picked by Wrexham to go there and start their journey. It's a yeah, great a great club. It's a great club, and I'll tell you what they do. They've done very well for themselves, especially competing at some some very very oh, uh, top clubs like like so some of them, some of them in the same league as Burton. Who would have thought? <laughs> if only we could play Burton every weekend. Um, we'll move on. Though. We'll move on. We'll move on. Um, I think one of the big questions I think a lot of people want to know, Andrew, is what is the club's relationship with the Chronicle like? Now you've been. With the Chronicle for ninety-five years, I'm imagining that they've had the good. You've had your good days with the club, the bad days with the club. Um, but from your ninety-five years spell, where do you think the relationship is right now with the club and the Chronicle? Uh, I think you know the, the criticism of Steve Bruce was 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 deserved, and it was you know he got it quite hard, and it was like it was deserved. And I think you know they're just trying to protect. Their manager, um, I think you know the 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 way the react has probably been with with everyone in a way. You know they've not been happy with the stories that have been written, but I think everyone, not just ourselves, have been have been just, especially in the, the few weeks. Or well, it wasn't a few weeks, was it? You know, it's been twenty two odd games without a, a win and what have you, and it was thoroughly deserved. And I think from their point of view, they're just trying to, to protect the manager and just trying to um, you know uh, just. <laughs> in a way deflect but you know that's just that they've got a job to do we've got a job to do and I think I think fans and, and, and other pundits and journalists will will agree that you know on that run that Steve Bruce had the, the criticism was was more than justified and he look he's turned it around and the, I think the reports uh, reflect that you know the game against Liverpool was was was, was really good they were in it they, were des- they deserved the points and it's just a case of getting that balance you know when Steve Bruce does well when Newcastle do well you get the praise because that's what journalists do. You have to get that balance, and when things go wrong, 
they get criticised, and it's just about how the club and uh, Steve Bruce handles that, and how journalists, the Chronicle, or the newspapers handle that as well, and just getting it right, not just digging in for digging sake, but you know, doing it in a respectful, a respectful way. Because no matter what you think of Steve Bruce, he's, he still deserves respect. He's been in the game a long time. Whether you think he's an awful manager or you think he's a decent manager and just had bad luck, whatever you write, you've still got to do it respectful, and that's the bottom line. I think our coverage has done that. I think we've been respectful. Um, in our in our criticism, and then in turn the praise of the last few weeks. Yeah, I would go along with that. I mean, the criticism was more than fair. I mean, especially after that Brighton game um, a month or so ago, you'd have I'd have put my house on him walking or going after that after that game. But with all the reports of him losing the dressing room and relegation was a real serious threat, which I think has now passed. It looks now like he has won the dressing room back almost. You kind of saw that from the celebrations um, on Saturday. Yeah, I mean, this, the, the the scenes that when that goal went in were brilliant to see everyone hugging and, you know, you've got a good picture there. And just the elation, I think everyone, it was also kind of heightened by the fact of the Super League fallout, for me anyway, and then obviously that dis- disallowed goal. Um, I was more angry, actually, that a penalty wasn't given because if you're looking at the handball, a stupid rule, but it's the law, so it has to be ruled out. Whether we, you know, it is a really stupid rule, but it is the law, so you can see why it was ruled out. There's no getting around it. But the fact he was pushed in the back before he went to shoot, I don't understand how they haven't rolled the back. And I mean, even when you look at the when you look at the replay, the VAR replay, they do they do look at yeah. it, but they don't look at it. But it's there in the replay. And it's just that was what I was more angry about. And I think there was just the way they kicked down at Maxman the next week because they couldn't handle and the cynical fouls for Binio. So I think that there was loads of elements rolling into that celebration there. But yeah, it was great to see the players head over to Steve Bruce because I, st- I think I st- yeah I think they are still playing for him. I know there was a lot of talk of it, um, but I still I think the bottom line is that they probably they still respect them and they still every player wants to win a game and it's just nice to see it kind of coming along and hopefully we can finish the season strongly and and, and pull away as far as we can from the relegation zone. I think that's a, a very interesting point because you talk about Steve Bruce and the fact that you know he has turned things around since that international break. And as a journalist, Andrew, it must be so much easier to write positive stories about Newcastle because, like you said, 22 games where it hasn't been great and writing a negative article or a negative piece for, for like what seems like years, but it's only been a couple of months, um, it, it must be refreshing. Yeah, definitely, because at the end of the day, we all want Newcastle United to win. You know, what's going to sell more papers, Newcastle United in the FA Cup final or Newcastle United not doing so well in the Premier League? You know, it, it, success is always going to sell more papers because people want to pick a paper, they want to read good stories, they want to read good, you know, good news. And it's been really refreshing to be able to do that over the past few weeks, whether it be the podcast or, the, like you say, the stories. And, yeah, he deserves credit because, you know, he's stuck in whether you think he was right or wrong to do it, and he's 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 got the results when the, when when they've needed him because it was looking very shaky, wasn't it? Like you say that after that Brighton game, and a few managers probably would have just collapsed or walked away. For, you know whether you think he was wrong or right, he stuck in. He said he wasn't going anywhere. He's shown that maybe his confidence, his self confidence, was 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 right. Bigger picture, do we go around the same circle next season? I mean, you know that remains to be seen. But I think for, for right now, you know, there's there's a platform to build on. He's getting the results. The players are looking like they're enjoying it again. So yeah, let's 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 be positive and let's 
hopefully get a win against Arsenal and just put the threat of relegation out of the window completely. Yeah, that would be nice. Um, how much do you think of an influence Graham Jones has had since his arrival? Because I've never seen such a fuss about the arrival of, of a new first-team coach slash assistant or whatever his job title is. It, it's been um, a bit bizarre in some aspects, but he must have had some impact, surely. I'm going to be honest, the sound went there and I heard the first bit, but I didn't hear the end bit. Can you just repeat that? Uh, yeah, Graham Jones, how much of an impact has he had? Because it's been a bit of a bizarre... His introduction to, yeah. to Newcastle was a bit bizarre. I think the situation he came in was always going to... That was always going to happen. It was always going to create headlines and you're always going to look at it and think, is he coming into a place, Steve Bruce? Has he been brought in from above? Look, Steve Bruce said before the uh, the game against Liverpool that it was he was his first choice. There was a few other people, but he was his first choice and you got to take his word at that. And yeah, look... Yeah, it, I think Steve Bruce is talking about like a, a new voice coming into the dressing room, a new, a new way to look at things, um, and it looks like it's it's paid off. And you've also yeah, for for that to happen, and I mean this is just my view, but for Steve Bruce to want to, to bring somebody in, that takes a, a bit of guts to do that because you're essentially admitting that it's not going totally how it should be. Something needs to change. So for you to say, do you know what? I do need that little bit of help. I think that actually takes quite a man to do that. And it's uh, it's it's paid off, you know. Obviously, we've got to look at the bigger picture going forward for next season. But it has started to to produce results. Obviously, Alan St. Maxman come back has helped. You know, he was absolutely brilliant against Liverpool, and he has been the past few games. Um, you know, Joe Linton starting to look a bit better. He should have scored against Liverpool. Um, but I think I think a lot of things are clicking together. Not just Graham Jones's arrival, but I think that fresh voice, that fresh look of things, has certainly helped. And uh, you know, Steve Bruce seems happy with whatever input Jones has had. Yeah, I'll tell you what, one thing he definitely would have been happy about, and that's Joe Works equaliser. Man, that just seems to be in the headlines for the right reasons. Goals against Spurs, West Ham, and obviously Liverpool at the weekend. Obviously, he's ineligible to take on Arsenal on Sunday. But I think there's, a, there's going to be a lot of uh, Newcastle fans thinking, can we get Joe Work permanently? I think there's a rumoured fee of about £20 million. And Luke Edwards was talking about that last week. Um but do you think Newcastle will go for Joe Willock permanently or do you think they'll look at another loan, Andrew, for the, at the end of the season? Steve Bruce has said, hasn't he, that he wants him in. Um, I think, I think uh, to be fair, I think everyone would love him on a permanent deal, but with the impact of COVID and then you've got the, the takeover playing in the background, you know, will they sanction a £20 million deal? To be fair, £20 million in this market is not a bad price at all for, for someone a 21-year-old. Yeah, exactly. And he's who's, who's at that stage, he's proven himself already. He's not like he's he's still got to develop, but he's not at a stage where you say he's unproven because he is actually what's he got, 80 odd games under his belt for Arsenal in the first team. He's essentially, you would say, saved Newcastle in a way. You know, he's he's definitely been you know the main man in terms of goals and getting them across that line. So, 20 million, like you say, for, for, for Willick is not a bad price. Uh, will Arsenal let him go? I think it might be more a case of what Willick wants because can you see Willick getting a first team place under Arsenal next season they'll probably try and go into the market and maybe try and improve things with a more experienced player you know a player who's maybe seen as a better player for want of a better phrase so then it comes down to him does he want to stay there um, and play a second fiddle to someone or does he want to go somewhere where he's got a first team opportunity um, I know he's been on the bench recently, which is ironic saying that. But you know, I think it's it comes down to really what he wants. I think Steve Bruce has made it clear he wants to get him back next season. Um, and I guess it just it, 
that decision lies with the boardroom about how they approach it. Do they go for a loan or do they go permanent? But I do think Willick's desire will have a huge say in what happens because, it, like I said, it's, I think it'll be up to him whether he stays or goes, really. And um, Arsenal, I think, will be happy to keep him. But will he want to be on the bench and uh, know that he's not in that first team uh, guaranteed down at Arsenal? I mean, on the face of it, he certainly seems to be enjoying his time um, at Newcastle. But do you know for certain, is that £20 million, is that a clause as part of the loan deal? Or is that... I'm not I'm not entirely sure, to, to be fair. Um, he does certainly seem to be enjoying it. You can see the, the social media videos and the smile, the celebrations. And one thing I think is really key is the attitude. Like, you mm. know, to be scoring these goals and to be left on the bench... He hasn't kicked up a fuss. He's just come on and he's done exactly what every footballer should do when they're not playing. And you know, obviously, he said he was devastated. I think Steve Bruce said he was he was gutted when he told him uh, he's not playing. And you know, some players will kick off, some players won't be happy. And you can see when they come off the bench and their body language and the way they play. But he's done exactly what every young what every young footballer watching this, listening to this, should do. They should look at Joe Willick, see how he's applied himself in the face of. You know that that upsetness of not being in the first team, and look at him and think that that's why I should be doing. If I'm not playing every Sunday, you know what what have you? I think his attitude has been top draw because I see many players would have just kicked off and just not been happy, not put their heart into it. But he's done that, and again, Steve Bruce can have no complaints with with Willington knocking on the door. Obviously, not for the Arsenal game, but for the games after, and saying like, I deserve to start here. I just like his little uh, phrase for Newcastle now. Come on, you Maggies. But um, <laughs> he'll learn. He'll learn, unless you want to change change the name. But um, we'll go, we'll go with it anyway. Um, but it's very very fascinating what's going on with Newcastle right now. They're in a peculiar position. Mm. Um, it's ironic we talk about Joe Willett because there's obviously been um, morning headlines in regards to Arsenal and the potential taking of I think it was Spotify, believe yeah. it or not. And there's yeah. obviously the three Invincibles, the Air of Burkamp and Henri behind it. Um, we'll touch about maybe Henri towards the end of this. Uh, video because there's a certain man that's just got a very, very nice uh, award, shall we say. But the takeover is a hot topic. It's in the comments, actually. There's quite a few comments going, what's the latest, what's the latest? And Andrew, on the 14th of April, uh, you released an article and it was the documents, basically, that were released on how close the Newcastle takeover was. And you basically did a timeline of emails uh, from um, the Department of Culture, Media and Sports and the Premier League. And it was fascinating reading it. I, had, I read it again this morning when I was uh, just to basically make sure I got everything right. So as much as I can remember um, when I was when we first found out that we had you on. And it was a real, real fascinating insight. And well done for you for finding that information, get that information. Now, I know you would just say that's just your job because you're a journalist, but to actually get that sort of information for Newcastle fans in particular, I think it's a, it's a job well done. Um, before we go in depth massively, into this article um, what were your immediate thoughts when you were typing everything up and when you were just about to release it and what did you think of the actual immediate thoughts of the Newcastle fans would have been to this article my first thought was about bloody time because this yeah. has been so long in the making and I was getting so frustrated I was sending so many emails and they just weren't weren't coming back um, basically I mean anyone can put in a freedom of information request you've just got to be clear and precise about what you're asking for and there's, there's rules and there's reasons why they can reject it. It can be on cost. I had, I have had a couple rejected that. It'll take too long to to, to find the information you want. The cabinet office did that. 
Um, and obviously there's the things they, they, they don't release because of business and commercial interest, which is perfectly fine. I understand that. And then names and what have you, email addresses, perfectly fine. Um, but usually what happens is is that they'll they'll come back to you and say, oh, we're going to delay this for 20 odd days, which again is in the rules. That's perfectly fine. But this one, they didn't. They just they didn't say anything. They just kept saying, oh, it's in the works. It was like, well, either reject it or delay it. And it just kept coming and going and on and on. And then it came to Christmas and they said, oh, it's going through clearance. I thought, all right, okay. And at this point, it was already, what, two months overdue. Um, and it just kept going and going and nothing was coming back. And then if you watch the NUST, the 1892 pledge uh, official launch that I was hosting, Towards the end, when I'm interviewing just Alex, we're just wrapping up, they'll see my face kind of drop because I've just gone into my emails to check something while Alex is talking, and it's and it's dropped. And they weren't daft because they sent it at 7 o'clock on a Friday night, so they knew what they were doing as well, I, I would I would argue. Um, and then just going into it and looking at it, you know, um, they apologised for it being delayed. They explained why some of the things were redacted, which was important. Uh, to do with names, and then there was something to do with policy because some of the some of the contents. Well, one of the emails they're still building the policy on. So again, that's fair enough, you know. Um, and then just looking at the details, the the key thing that stood out for me was the fact a how high high up in government this was going. I know then the PM's letter came out, you know, a couple of days after the story. But the fact they were org- organising um, meetings with across across Whitehall departments and the people in them meetings were going to be deputy uh, director level. That was the bottom line. I mean, that shows you how high up that is. That's a quite a high rank. Um, and then the Premier League actually said, yes, you know what? The decision is going to be, it could be possible tomorrow. And that shows you that in a way, the consortium's confidence that a decision was coming was validated because, you know, they were, they were confident the decision was coming. Now, they were confident it was going to get passed. In these emails, there's no suggestion whatsoever whether it was going to be rejected or whether it was going to be accepted. I know people have interpreted it one way or the other, but there's no, you know, if you look at it, just what's there, the hard-cold facts, no one's hitting either way. Um, but that was the key thing for me, that the Premier League said, yes, a decision's possible. So, obviously, you know, the confidence of the consortium that something was coming, I think, has been validated there. And, yeah, and, and just also that the government were confident something was coming as well. It would be interesting to know who who their sources were, who that was coming from. Um, but, you know, that whole that whole couple of days uh, in, you know, in June were, were quite interesting. And it was just, it was good to get something out there in black and white. You know, I think one of the key things is, is that in journalism, you do have a lot of sources and people write sources and that's part of the industry. You know, that's massive. And, you know, people are never going to reveal the sources because then why would they trust you, you know, to come to you and say, I've heard, you know, this is what's going on. Um, and I think people can get a little bit frustrated at that sometimes, but that is the industry, you know, you will get, and I mean, you look at today's front page on the Daily Mail, I think it is, and, you know, again, you've got a source, you know, revealing what Boris Johnson said, and it, it's, you know, sources play a huge part, but I think what was, I think why this maybe went down so well is because the emails were there, they were in black and white, I had them, you know, You've got near or you've got departments, you've got times, you've got dates. I think people are just craving a little bit more um, facts in certain stories. I think that's also why the, the, the Boris Johnson letter did quite well a couple of days after again, because it was kind of cold, hard fact. You know, it was names, it was dates, it was, you know, letters. 
And um, yeah, really interesting. And it was just good to kind of get the opportunity to move the story on a little bit. I mean, it took you six months, which is crazy. And one, one thing I do find a bit sort of funny is that you mentioned there that they wouldn't reject your request. They just didn't say anything. Well, where have we heard that before? So it's 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 all linked. I mean, what what's your personal opinion about sort of the Premier League and the way this takeover bid has kind of gone and and fallen away and and come back with with arbitration coming from Mike Ashley, which is set to begin at some point. I think I think everyone could have handled it better from the buyer side to the Premier League. I think everyone there's there's certain things I think people could have done better. The Premier League. They've been poor in their communication, um, I think, and their accountability is not there. And this is a bigger, this is a wider issue, isn't it? It's not just to do with the Newcastle United takeover. It's a wider issue that really the accountability of the Premier League is not there um, to do with many things. You know, and it's frustrating that we've seen this over the last six months, whatever you're, the last year, when you go to the Premier League with a story, they will just say no comment. It's just bit, I can understand it now a little bit with the arbitration. They don't want to say anything that could jeopardise their case. But before that, you know, um, there was another FOI with the with the uh, the Foreign Office, which came out in November. And again, it was no comment. We've had stories before that, which were no comment. I think they've just at some point they have to come out and, and just be clear. We know that the, the NUST did an excellent job getting sat down in front of them. They asked the right questions because of They'd gone in all guns blazing, they probably would have got kicked out because, or they would just got in no comments. So at least they asked questions which Richard Masters could, could, could at least give an answer to. But I do think more communication is needed. I think, you know, fans, because at the end of the day, fans are the most important thing to football, and Newcastle United fans have been messed around uh, with it. And I think just on a whole, I just want a conclusion now. I think every Newcastle United fan wants a conclusion. And I tweeted this out the other day, and people came back and said, oh, actually, well, you know, if the conclusion comes back no, then I want to. I want to wait for a yes. But I get that point because look, I'm a Newcastle United fan. I want the club to be taken over by owners who want to win the Premier League, who want to take the club to the to, to you know right at the top. But I think we've all been through it the past year where it is getting, it's just getting tiresome now. Like you know, we we just need an answer because Mike Ashley's put everything into 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 this. Obviously, the arbitration. But what happens if he loses? What happens if that arbitration doesn't go the way Newcastle United fans want, the way Mike Ashley wants? Then has he wait? Then he's wasted a year where there's potentially been other interest. But he's obviously just said, "Look, it's all about the Saudi bid here." Um, and then we're back to square one. Do you know what I mean? So I think we just need a conclusion so we can move on one way or the other. Yeah, I think I think that is what we need is closure. We need closure on this more than anything, but. I think last couple of points on this before we move on, on, on to something else. I think one of the questions that you brought uh, you brought up in your article was, you look at someone like Burnley that's just been taken over. Did they have to speak to the government to get their takeover put through? Because I didn't hear anything about Burnley getting when they were getting taken over. Did their Oliver Dowden put out a statement? Did, did Boris Johnson say anything in the House of Commons or whatever? Because it, it just seemed to go for absolutely lovely and nothing was said. And, Yes, you can talk about it was it was different it was different ownerships, but it's still the same sort of rules. It's still the same one in directors' tests, doesn't it? And it's it just seems to be very very interesting why one takeover was done lovely and the other one was still asking you can, questions. You can see just how 
big of an impact this was going to have, not just on Newcastle United, but on the city, the region and the country. You know, um, this is why the government were involved. I mean, they'll say, you know, they weren't involved, but you, know, you can clearly see to, to a certain degree, in my opinion, they definitely were. Obviously, I, I don't think they had any bearing on the decision, but they were clearly involved in terms of the communication and, and, and what have you. Obviously, the meetings show that. And look, it's difficult because essentially this big superpower is coming into football and I get what you're saying. Look, everybody should be treated the same. They definitely should do. Um, on the other hand, you know, the whole separation argument is a very interesting one. Um, I personally can't see how they can argue he is separate because you go on the public investment fund website and he's top of the tree. Do you know what I mean? He's there on the pyramid, top of the leadership and he's launching their uh, five-year project a couple of months back. And it's very difficult, I think, to argue that. I had a, I spoke to a Middle Eastern expert back in, I think it was February, uh, Christian Ulrichen, who's you know got plenty of books out about the Gulf. And he said, look, it is, it is essentially, it's, it's quite difficult to prove because when he, the Crown Prince came into power, he moved the public investment fund into kind of the area which of a body he controls or something. Um, and I do find that it's going to be interesting to see what the arbitration is actually arguing. Nobody knows this because obviously it's, it's under wraps and quite rightly, you know, it is. And um, I'm sure it'll all come out in time. But it, it's going to be interesting to find out what they actually are arguing in that arbitration. Because from my point of view, and I know it's not what fans want to hear, but I, I, I can't see how they can argue that they're separate. I just, I just can't. So, so like, a, a, I think a normal fan on the street would then say, well, what's the difference between, say, Manchester City or what's the difference um, from PSG where their chairman owner is also owner of being sports and is also now the new chairman of the UEFA committee thing, technical term. So, so it's um, it, it just seems like one rule for one and one rule for, you know, the bigger teams around. Yeah, it's it's difficult, isn't it? I'll be honest, again, the sound went there, so I heard one rule for one and one for... I don't know what it is. I got a warning saying this might happen, so can you just repeat that again? Sorry. Yeah, so like it was just comparing the, the Newcastle situation between the likes of Man City and PSG, um, because obviously PSG's owner is chairman of being sports and and um, UEFA committee. I think I think when you look back at the the FOI stuff and the Premier League admitted they were in new territory, and I think that's kind of interesting. Um, obviously, just my interpretation of what that meant, but to me that was kind of suggesting actually maybe the Thunas and Directors test isn't up to scratch. And now we've seen the government are going to look at it, and you know a lot of people are saying is that going to work in Newcastle's favour? Well, I mean that's anyone's guess. And then you've got will the Premier League actually listen to the government? But it's interesting because. I actually don't think, personally, the owners and directors test is up to scratch. I mean, when you're looking at what the actual issues are with this potential deal, really, the main issues, i.e. human rights and what have you, based on the owners and directors test, don't really come into play, which I think is utterly bizarre because, look, we all want a successful club. And, you know, people will say, oh, there's more than Formula One, boxing, but we can't run away from the issues that actually really should matter and yet, when you look at what actually matters in the eyes of maybe the Premier League or what's come out, it's it's second to you know. Obviously, Paris is a big deal, and but who's who's going to be on the on the on the directors list? And I think that 
in itself is is quite an issue because you know uh, there are issues that need to be addressed and and yet when you look at like I said the, the issues of this deal they're not at the forefront of it. Yeah, no, no, you're quite right, Andrew. You're quite right. Um, I have to talk about the Super League. I know it's not happening anymore, but I do feel it's relevant to what we're talking about because everyone talks about the big six and their involvement and we were just talking off air how are Tottenham involved in this big six when they play like they did yesterday and how they've been playing for the last couple of years and I think they've won two League Cups in 40 years, someone said the other day. Um, so that's, that's an interesting one. But um, when you first heard of this news of the European Super League, and you heard that's who was involved, did you think after two days it would be all abolished, pretty much? Or did you genuinely think that this could actually happen? Because it, there's always been rumours and murmurs that this, there's always been in the offing. And, well, the, this is the biggest statement that they ever produced was this time last week, wasn't it? Hmm. I was surprised when it came out. I know like I said, there'd been whispers and stuff, but I was surprised when it came out to see so many teams involved. I mean, Arsenal and, and Spurs, for one, is just absolutely laughable, isn't it? I mean, Arsenal, goodness me. Um, well, don't say that when we play them on Sunday. <laughs> um, yeah, nothing to fear there, is there? That's going to come back and bite us. But yeah, I mean, it's really built on greed and built on you know their, their fear and competition when you look at Leicester and you look at West Ham I mean, you know um, I'm so happy Newcastle beat West Ham but I really want them in the Champions League just so you can say do you know what we've broken the monopoly here we've all we've all felt it when Sir Boy Robson came in and he went in and, and he broke up the, the top clubs and I know it's not the same now there's more money there's, there's more billionaire owners but there's a great feeling to to, to you know to just stick two fingers up essentially at the, at the top clubs and say, look, we're here to stay and we're established now. And we did that for what, three, four years. And Leicester's, Leicester's trying to do it now. They were unfortunate last season. I think they're probably going to finish third this season, fingers crossed. And again, it's great to see. And they're scared of that, aren't they? You know, Liverpool and all them are scared of, of competition. And that that underpins the beauty of the Premier League is that you can beat anybody and under the right guidance whether it be owner manager or if everything just clicks together like Leicester did when they win the Premier League magic can happen and to remove that element of competition really angered me because the fans weren't put first it was all about money and it was all about you know ensuring that you were in this competition which will bring you millions and not billions of pounds and, and, and throwing away the competition element and it's just I'm, st- I'm a little still a little bit angry it's great to see fan power and bring it down. Obviously, you've got the Real Madrid presence saying the can't, the clubs can't walk away. Um, but you know, I mean, yeah, it's yeah, it's just, it's just a frustrating and it's just a funny one when you look at the, the teams and then the apologies coming out and and it's important. I saw one of the comments they asking about the 1892 pledge, and for me, it just re-emphasized how important that is. Look, you know, the guys running it know the chances of buying Newcastle United are next to nil, but have a it's small percentage of it, you know, that's their aim, long-term project. And it showed in a week where fans were not put first, just how important a project like this, where it will give the fans a voice, is really important and why it should be backed and why in time it can produce the results that the likes of Alex and the rest of the Trust hope it can. And we saw how important fans were. We saw how important they were with the pay-per-view back at the end of last year. We saw again how important they've been here. We've seen how important they are in general because we're missing. I mean, how nice was it to hear chants yesterday down at Wembley to see the elation of fans? And it was a very small percentage, but it was lovely to see. And fans, I know it's cliche, but football without fans is nothing. And 
that last week proved it. And I think Newcastle United fans have got a chance to really make a bit of history here. And if if the funds can be raised by the trust and everything is set in motion, it's three years hard work by Alex. You know, this is not something done overnight. This is everything's been done by the book. A lot of hard work. There's a chance to create history here, and there's a chance to set to set the first stone in a way, and, and then hopefully get some sort of fan ownership into football, which is which is key because fans need a voice in, in the boardrooms where those decisions are being made. Yeah, absolutely. Um, just to go back on to Graham in the comments there, um, I think I've seen some tweets from Charlotte and Thomas and Greg and a few other of the board members. I think they're collating the data to see who's what the monthly pledges are and what the one-off pledges were, and then I think they're going to release some stats and, and facts because so, it's all obviously transparent. It's brilliantly... Yeah, it's so brilliantly I think, I think the, um, the actual totaliser on the website is now up to date. I asked Alex on Friday because before it was behind... Yeah. He wasn't catching up, but now he says it is up to date. So I think it's around maybe 60,000. So it'll be interesting to see how many of them are monthly pledges. But I think, I mean, that's a great start. You know, the reaction was fantastic. And I think, again, like I said, just this last week, the Super League's just re-emphasised what an opportunity Newcastle United fans have really got to, you know, to hopefully get a piece of their club and have a voice. Yeah. With that then, do you think we've kind of reached a moment where not to get all misty-eyed and say taking our game back, but that 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 kind of, not not maybe movement's a bit too far, but we can go some way of getting our game back, or do you think it will just resort to, to format and we, it'll stem its ugly head in a couple of years' time? Yeah. I've got a little fear it might, it might revert, revert to format because when you re-look at it, you, can, you look at it and you see it, how big of a, I mean, how big of a voice are you going to need to really change things? However, you look at the protests outside the Emirates, you look at the the absolute anger, the understandable anger from fans. Um, because I mean, the interesting thing is, if you look at it from the point of view of the likes of Liverpool, Man City, what was stopping those fans from saying, you know, what? yeah, great, let's secure top level European competition, yeah, and yeah, not have to worry about it. You know, some fans might welcome that, but it was great to see the majority of every one of those single clubs come out and say, this is not what we want. We do. We want to be in that competition out of merit or the Champions League out of merit. We don't want to be there because we're so-called big, you know, big European club. Um, so I, I think the fallout, and I think, I think Gary Neville's mentioned it as well. You can't, this can't just be the end of it. You, we have to keep the pressure up and make sure that fans voices are heard, that fans come first, not the money. And yes, we need a reform in the Champions League. You know, there's questions for UEFA and FIFA as well. Um, and hopefully, I think the big point is, is that the government review, you know, we need that to actually just produce some proper results, some proper change. And, you know, the government now have a huge role to play in this. And I know, I have a feeling you'll probably say, as you usually do, um, if you've got confidence in the government to do anything, then you're... Uh, <laughs> do you watching. watch that? I've been watching. Um but I think this is a moment of for the government to step up, and it's cross-party, isn't it? Which is good, I think. Um, and obviously, Keir Starmer's really going for it. And it's just a case of now, I think, listening to fans, and the government have just got a real opportunity to to hand a little bit of power back to it. But everything's got to come together. Everything's got to click. And it then goes back to the fact, will the Premier League listen to the government? Because at the moment, they don't they don't really have to, do they? So, um, but yeah, I think I think it's in the balance. Yeah, that is, I think that's probably the, the correct phrase. It's in the balance, but yeah. 
I think a big a big shout out to Shea Onua as well. She's done her bit over the last 12 months and obviously um, she obviously sent emails out. When yeah. obviously I think I think all the North East, I mean, Ian Mearns as well, I think we've seen yeah. a real collective, not necessarily, not necessarily even just to get the table up put through, but just to get answers, clarity. Yeah. I think that's more than anything, I think that's the important thing. Look, if this arbitration doesn't go the way Newcastle United fans are hoping, then at least come out and be and be clear on, on, on why. Look, and we, you know, we won't like the answers probably, but what we need is we need clear and concise answers to why it hasn't gone through or it hasn't gone the way Mike Ashley wants it to. Um, and at least then, I say we won't be happy, but maybe we can understand because if it just comes down to says, now, nah, not in your favour, move on. Well, then everyone, journalists, fans are just going to be asking, well, you know, why, what happened? But at least... If it's explained and it's 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 you know it's out there, people can maybe look to understand it, even if they don't like you know the outcome. Yeah, I mean the Super League for me just sounded so boring. That was the first and foremost. I couldn't think of anything worse. I struggle with the Champions League sometimes, but uh, that Super League, my word, no thank you. But um, it would be interesting though because we see like these top six clubs now that are they for sale? Obviously, we've seen Arsenal and whatnot, and Glazers, Glazers out, and oh god, I mean, try having Mike Ashley for so long. It would be very interesting because you think, oh no, the Saudis are going to go for Man United or one of the other teams. It would be very interesting to see if that would happen and how quickly this Saudi a Saudi consortium would be welcomed with open arms with the top six team? Uh, I think if, for instance, the public investment funds mind change to, to one of the top six, I think they'd get the same problems here because the Premier League, you know, they, it, they would have to. But I think even before that, even if... I, I Look, I, I understand where certain people come from. They say this would be my United, it would have gone through. But I, I, don't, I honestly don't think it would have done. I think, I think the issue lies with... The buyers. I don't think it's a bias. I don't, and I, I know people will be in the comments now, poisoners. But I, I, I genuinely do not think that is the case. I think there is there is a right to try and understand, you know, who would be on the directors sheet for Newcastle. United. You know, um, could the Crown Prince could the PFI PIF uh, buy Newcastle United and the Crown Prince wake up one morning and say, "I've had enough, pull the funds." That's really important, and you know. We all slate the Premier League, but imagine if that happens. Then you'd be slating the Premier League for not doing the checks properly. So, yeah. in a way, they can't win. And yes, they've made mistakes and they need to be more clear and concise. And I understand the accusations of bias, but from I really, I, I just think I can, in a way, I can understand why they want to be so clear with this because it is such a big deal. And, you know, you know they, they would argue they're trying to protect Newcastle United in the, in, in the future. Obviously, you would argue that the last 12 years has been an absolute. Well, it has not been very good at all, has it? And I might actually, but I think there's so many opinions and views on it that this is another reason why we just need need everything to be clear, open, transparent, and we need this chapter, not even the chapter, the full book, just to close one way or the other, the end, full stop, done. Let's just do it because go around in circles is no good for anybody because it's just gonna, it's, it's I'm, I'm tired of it. I was just going to say, do you think every Northeast journalist is ready just for any takeover to happen so they don't have to report on a Newcastle takeover for a considerable amount of time? Because, again, it seems that we've been talking about this for nearly, well, 14 years. I, yeah. I actually think the club, it seems like it's been like this for the last 13 years after Kevin Keegan walked. So, 
do you, are you just do you think you'll just sit down one day open a can of beer or whatever and just sit down going thank goodness i don't have to write about a takeover consortium trying to buy my football club for the next few years hopefully certainly kept us busy hasn't it but even if you look back to the time of sir john i mean obviously when they went into the the stock market and then you can find loads of hints i mean i did a story then last year where i caught up with the the, the uh founder of ntl and you know the, the the shirt sponsor and they came very close to buying newcastle united and ironically what stopped them was the government blocked sky from buying manchester united um who at the time sky were ntl's rivals in many ways so they everything was hinging on the government passing through Sky's bid for Manchester United, which was something like £1 billion or something. Um, the government blocked it, so NTL felt they would, they would obviously get blocked as well because of the competition rules. That's what stopped it. But also, it was interesting, when I did the research, you were looking back at the reports and the archive, uh, it came out in the, in the stock market that someone had agreed uh, a partial stake with the right to then go and buy the majority stake. No one knew who it was because of various you know, rules and whatever, but there was rumours Sony came out and denied it. Warner Brothers came out and denied it. Uh, all these big, massive companies came out and said, no, no, not us. So that just shows you that you know, there will always be people interested in top clubs, especially clubs like Newcastle United. You know, we've seen yesterday Liverpool reportedly were subject to a, to a Middle Eastern bid earlier in the summer. Obviously, we've seen Arsenal today. So... I think even if this chapter gets closed, you give it, you know, 12 months or so and somebody somewhere will be linked with buying Newcastle United because even if it goes through, you don't know how it's going to, you don't know how it's going to go, do you? It could go disastrously, disastrously wrong. It could go brilliantly. It's just the way of the world. It's a lottery, isn't it? But yes, it would be nice, first and foremost, just to get this, this, this one to an end and we can concentrate on the football and we can concentrate on just something else because I think, you know, I know... People watching now will be always... First thing they'll do in the morning is check Twitter and UFC hashtag just to see if anything's gone through. Um, and I can understand it's, it's tiresome. And I think, you know, from my point of view, I'd love just to wake up tomorrow and just, it's done. You know, it's yeah. done one way or the other. Um, I'd love it to be done in a, in a positive way, get an owner with some cash and take Newcastle to where they belong, up the top of the league. Um, but I just, want to, I just want a conclusion. I just want to put to bed, please. Yeah, one day, one day. When them Sports Direct signs come off St. James's Park, that's going to be a good day. But um, that's enough on the takeover now, Johnny. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I want to talk about John Joe Shelby because we were, we were just speaking about him before we started. Um, is he our new Florian Lejeune? <laughs> uh, maybe with a passing ability. I'm not sure quite the defensive ability. I mean, I was... <laughs> Utterly confused, and it was just bizarre when he got switched back into centre back. I mean, in the end, the result kind of puts it aside, I guess, and it's it's not a big talking point. But it's not the first time it's happened. I just think, I think Steve Bruce said they wanted to drop him deep and then get him to pass the, you know, try and open up the channels. And it was ironic that it was Paul Dummett, who you would never in a month of Sundays uh, thought would be able to put in a cracking ball like he did. I mean, one of my colleagues. Um, said it was more uh, hit and hope or, uh, than it was a, a ball towards Gill. But I'm not. I'm going to defend Paul here. I think Paul knew exactly <laughs> what he was doing and it was a lovely ball into the box. It's interesting because, look, when Shelby was out, I think it was, was he either last season or earlier this season, and he came back in. And in the time he was out, Newcastle was so... There was, there was nothing in that midfield. 
And I came back, I came out and said, look, it shows you how important Shelby was. Not in terms of him, he should be the first name on the team sheet, but I think more in terms of when Newcastle, in terms of recruitment, have let themselves down. Because if you remove Shelby, then the creativity does take a hit. Now, look, he's very hit and miss. He's more hit than he is, uh, more miss than he is hit. But when he's not in the team, there is a noticeable difference, in my opinion. I think if he was removed now, you wouldn't feel it as much because Alan St. Maxim is there and he's doing a cracking job. But I think when Alan St. Maxim is on his game, you do you do notice. I think that's more a case of that Newcastle, maybe the need to get someone in who can step in his shoes and, 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 and be more effective. Um, because recently he's just not he's he's not been effective enough to to essentially be the first team on the the name on the team sheet, which is what it looks like. He needs to step up and do more, especially with Joe Willett knocking on the door. Sean Longstaff starting to get back to where he was. He wasn't brilliant brilliant against Liverpool, made a few mistakes, but he's starting just slowly to get back to that level we all know he can do. Matty Longstaff's somewhere in the wilderness. I'm not really sure where he is, but you know, there's players that can fill that gap and um, you know Shelby's got the armband at the moment and he's just got to step up and just prove to everybody why Steve Bruce is right in picking him consistently when you know look we don't see what goes on the training ground so maybe we're not we're not seeing the full picture you know you know and what I don't know what goes on in the dressing room he's not exactly vocal on the pitch but he could be tearing doors off in the dressing room we don't know so it's all them little things which you know obviously Steve Bruce and his coaching staff see a lot more than we do um, but I think the fans need to see a lot more from Shelby in the next few weeks, just to just to justify just justify quite mouthful his um, his place in that side, um, especially the same Willick again in the summer. Yeah, I think John Joe Shelby is an interesting one because whenever Jamal Sells has been injured, John Joe Shelby normally got the captaincy under yeah. Steve Bruce in particular. And you look at last season when he did have the captaincy at times. We've seen some very stellar performances from John Joe Shelby. He just hasn't really worked out this time round. But there isn't really, like, obviously, Isaac Hayden's out for the rest of the season with that injury against Brighton. There's no, and Matty doesn't seem to be the flavour of the month in terms of Steve Bruce. There's no real pressure on John Joe Shelby. I think he's you know, going to get picked regardless, even if he's yeah. captain or not. And that's it. That's it. I remember before DeAndre Edlin uh, left Newcastle, uh, what do you mean? Some of the goals actually. There was talk about bringing a new right back. I think Manquillo maybe had just come in. There's talk of someone else coming in. Um, and I asked him, I said, Look, you've, you've, you've essentially got this spot to yourself. Um, what about competition? He was like, I want competition all the time. I want that person you know, behind me wanting my spot because it makes you a better player. And that's, that's the case for anything in life. And I think, you know, for podcasts, for example, you know, you, we're all good, but you're only as good as your competitor. So you've got to keep pushing the levels. And it's the same on a football pitch. Like, you know, and I totally agree with you there that, in a way, Shelby not having that competition, he knows he can kind of maybe just coast a little bit. And that's why I think he's got to now step up and take responsibility and, and show, even when Hayden's fit, why he deserves to be in that spot. I mean, obviously Hendricks, not. You know he's not gonna he's not gonna oust him. Um, I, I do think in a way though Shelby's a little bit uh, he's a little bit by by the setup he's, it, it doesn't work in his favour in many ways because the four three on you go back that championship season when essentially the plan was Shelby to Dwight Gale and it worked perfectly. Now obviously the Premier League that's not going to work week in week out and obviously with the players you've got you probably won't play that system. But I do think in many ways that system doesn't benefit John, John Joe Shelby because 
he hasn't really got the time or he hasn't got the target to pick out, making them runs. And we know Callum Wilson's absolutely brilliant. But in terms of what benefits Shelby, in my opinion, he needs a man on that. He needs a striker on the last defender looking for the ball through the channels. And right now, the formation doesn't suit him. So therefore, you don't see the good side of John Joe Shelby. You see the bad or the 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 average side, for want of a better phrase, of Shelby. And I think that stands out more. Um, but as a whole, look, he's just, you know, um, he didn't do too badly on, on against Liverpool. Um, I think a lot of players made a few mistakes, a few passes going astray. But I think Shelby, you know, he, you know, he did all right. Um, you know, he had a kind of off the ball role in that that equaliser. I think he was he dragged James Milne out of the way. So, you know, um, yeah, I just I just like to see a bit more from him really, and just prove why he's he's always on that team sheet for me. Yeah, uh, you mentioned the right back situation there as well. I mean, me and Johnny would argue about our best right back till we were blue in the face most weekends. We haven't got time. We haven't got time. So. No, I know. But the <laughs> thing is, with this new formation now, that's just been taken out of the equation, hasn't it? Mm. And you see Jacob Murphy and and Matt Ritchie coming back into the side. Um, Jacob Murphy, in particular, um, as well as the long staffs, obviously Murphy's contract situation is more. Urgent because it's at the end of the season. But the well, staff... it's it's believed. Um, my colleague Lee Ryder wrote this. It's believed that actually his contract now doesn't run out till the end of next year, and it's not. Uh... If, you, if you if you go back and I'll, I'll send you to get the links afterwards. But there's, I'm sure um, my colleague wrote that actually it's it's next year. Everyone did think it was this year, but apparently there's there's some kind of for whatever reason it's 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 next year. But obviously it's still a pressing matter because if you've just got a year left on your contract this summer and you've got the likes of Watford. Link coming up and saying um, they want some more Rangers offering you, your head might be turned. But um, I mean, just on Murphy, I mean, absolutely brilliant. You know, his career looked over. He's come into a role which he's not really been suited. Yes, he played it a few times for Chef Wednesday. It's different in the Premier League, isn't it? Different for a club like Newcastle. No disrespect to to the Owls, and he's brilliant. He had a couple of really good games, and then it went went astray. And for him then to bounce back again. And perform as he has done recently. I think he's brilliant. And look, you can see his defensive games improving, improving so much. Um, and to do that when you're in the middle of a relegation fight again, it's just, it's just, it's just brilliant. Because it's one thing doing it if you're comfortably in mid table or pushing for top seven, whatever. But when you're scrapping for your lives, he's had so much to deal with. Plus the questions over his future. He's brilliantly. And actually, if you look back at the points he's won Newcastle night, whether it be assists yeah. or goals. Newcastle owe him so much because along with Willick, if you take their goals out, Newcastle would be in that relegation zone, wouldn't they? Because, I mean, especially Murphy, I mean, you've got the Wolves, you've got the um, goal a couple of weeks ago, the assists, uh, the Dwight Gill header against West Brom, you know, things like that. And they're all adding up when you look at it. And I think, do you know what? Um, just brilliant. Just He's been absolutely brilliant and deserves to get, an, I think, a new long-term contract and a, and a yeah. decent run in that side next season because... He's shown defensively and attacking-wise. That's what was missing from Newcastle United early in the season, that attacking intent. And we've seen that with the return of Anson Max and Murphy down, down the wing-back row. Just picking up the ball and just running and going and going for it. I mean, how many times has Murphy in recent weeks got down to the byline and then cut inside? You know, against yeah. Liverpool, he did it a couple of times. We've seen it in recent weeks. You know, he's having fun. He's enjoying it. And when you listen to him as well, when you listen to him talk about Newcastle United, you know... He's like any one of us who is a fan and stood on the terraces as a kid. It means the world to him. And I know a few people have said to me, oh, you know, footballers are good PR. They know what they're doing. 
I think he's genuine. You can hear the emotional the emotion in his voice when he's talking about the pride wearing that shirt. And fair play to him, you know, he's been he's been really good. And he's he has stepped up when he when he when he's needed to. He has. Um he he has been brilliant. I have to I have to be honest. I think I think a lot of Newcastle fans at the start of this season have said, "Well, I don't, I wouldn't offer him a new contract." So the fact that he's managed to change people's minds is is, is brilliant. Are um, you going to eat your words? And because you remember Johnny, you said he can't cross, to which no, I heavily if you, disagree. If you, hear my, if you hear my quote correctly, is that his crossing against Brentford was appalling. That he had a corner which went out of play. Newcastle didn't have a lot against Brentford, which I tried to forget about that game in the Sheffield United game. So I did apologize, not apologize, but I did kind of go back on it a few weeks. No, ago. I want I want you to publicly apologize. For this, <laughs> yeah. yeah, if you're watching Jacob, he's sorry. He will be. He will be. Um, but the one one thing I would like to talk about, I did mention it earlier when we talked about Arsenal, um, is the obviously Thierry Henry. Now, why why do you think I've mentioned Thierry Henry? Well, for people that have been living under a brick for the last two hours, and um, the Premier League Hall of Fame has been announced, and quite rightly, Alan Shearer. It's the first name on that list alongside Thierry Henry. Um, first things first, Andrew. It was no, there was no doubt that he should be in the Hall of Fame because there was 260 Premier League goals um, alongside Thierry Henry. Obviously, some people would say he's the greatest Premier League striker. There's always been that debate between Henry and Shearer. So to have them both there um, as the first two is fantastic. And again, it, it, it puts Newcastle in a good light as well with everything that's been going on. No, I mean, there's no argument. And what really annoys me is when Aguero announced he was retiring, yeah. you had, who's the best striker in the Premier League? You had Aguero, Henri, uh, Suarez in the, in the mix, and Rooney. And Shira was not in a lot of these fan polls or other, you know, media, social media votes on Twitter. And it's just like, you cannot be serious. I mean, even if I wasn't a Newcastle United fan, you look at it and you think 260 goals in the Premier League. There's no debate here, you know. You know, I'm not saying... He should necessarily win. I mean, yeah, I mean, he should always win that. But, but, but you know what I mean? He should at least be in the, in the running for it because he scored 260 Premier League goals. Also, in a side, which, aside for what, five years maybe, was was not that good of a side. War was mid-table or what have you, you know. Aside from a couple of seasons of Sir Bobby in that season under, uh, uh, or the half season really, wasn't it, under Kevin Keegan, you know, we didn't have the, the luxury of playing in a brilliant side like Henri did or like Rooney did. So to score that many goals and plus the injuries he had, imagine if he didn't have these injuries where he would be. It would be scary to think. Um, so, yeah, no doubt for me, you know, he should be the, the first name on there. And he is. Congratulations to him. And he thoroughly deserves it. And it's just no... And the, the funny thing was, yesterday I tweeted um, the, the Chelsea goal he scored when he turned Desailly and he put it in the oh, back of the net. Um, my favourite as well. It was part of my mental, the mental health quiz question. That was who, who yes. did, which defender did he turn? Was Desai? And for me, it's the best goal he scored because he's just, you know, the strength to turn him and the comments underneath. Like so many comments, you know, Everton, Villa goal, and like you know, um, there was a few others mentioned. It's, he scored great goals. Now some strikers score great goals, but they don't score that many goals. But Shearer scored great goals and a ton of goals. And there is no striker you know, anywhere near him whatsoever. But all those elements I've talked about, you know, the, the teams he played in and the situation that Newcastle usually found themselves in. No question. Best striker the Premier League has ever seen. And will Harry Kane break his record? Uh, it'd be interesting. I would like to get I would like to see him get close, but I, I just I don't know. I just I don't know. I can't see it happening. 
Still just yeah. over 100 goals behind, isn't he, Sam? And you're thinking, he's what, I think he's 28 in the summer. Yeah, I know, but the goes, thing is, let's compare the two. Harry Kane's playing in a, a all right, an underachieving Spurs team, but it's still, you know, you've still got players like Son feeding you in. Shearer for a year <laughs> had like Silvio Maric. I mean, there's, there's just no comparison. And then Shearer missed what, as Andrew said, like one or two seasons, all all in all, with some horrendous injuries. There's just no comparison. How much? How many goals would? Henri have scored if he had Andreas Anderson playing up front with him instead of Dennis Burkamp. Yeah. Do me a favour. There's no comparison. And I think you can see in Henri's comments though as well. He says, you know, to be included in in this with Alan Shearer by my side. Like, yeah, I mean, I'm paraphrasing that. Everyone can go and see what Henri said. But he says something like that. And I think you can see Henri knows that he's in good company. And Henri is by far one of the, the best strikers from yeah. he's ever seen. And um, I mean, I mentioned Aguero for me. You know, Aguero is special, absolutely very special player. And I'd love to see him stay in the Premier League as well. Um, but, I mean, no one comes close to Shearer. Not whatsoever. No, he is. He is the man. He always will be the man. Um, Johnny, have you ever interviewed Alan Shearer? I've met him a couple of times. No, no, that's not what I asked. <laughs> <laughs> Links in the description for Sam's interview with him. Um <laughs> We'll leave it at that. Um, but last question for you, Andrew, is, is, it's about you. What do you want from your career? What do you want for the next, say, five, ten years? Do you still want to be reporting for the Chronicle? What is your long-term goal for your career? Yeah, I mean, look, I've always wanted to work for the Chronicle from a very young age. Wrote a letter to the editor when I was like seven or eight, asking how to get into it, and grew up watching um, or reading rather. John Gibson and now, you know, he's sitting in my back garden doing podcasts and he lives at the bottom of my street and we'll go for a pint and set the worlds to right, you know. Yeah, I'm, you know, privileged and, I, you know, it's not lost to me how privileged I am to be in a role where I get to report on Newcastle now, I get to go to St James's Park and, and, and watch the games and, and, and report back to, to, you know, to the fan base and, yeah, I mean, there's, there's not really a better job out there and just to kick on really with it, with a podcast and just keep bringing good quality content to, to what is a very um, loyal, uh, but, uh, you know, a switched on fan base, a very loud and vocal fan base, which is great. You know, I'm a fan as much as I am a reporter. And just to, yeah, and just hopefully be reporting on better times. You know, it would be just nice to have this, sort of feeling that we've had today where we've all you know we've woken up and gone goodness me we held Liverpool but we deserved it and we could have won that game we should have won that game and um, it'd be just nice to have that feeling all the time that's what it would be nice just to be able to report on happy things and good quality football um, every moment of the day really good quality football Newcastle United who would have thought that would be the same sentence eh? Um, so where can people get this podcast Every, everywhere, everywhere. And also, if you haven't checked out Everything is Black and White podcast, do so. Like and subscribe to that one as well, because it's very good. As I say, it's in my top two. But yeah, Spotify, Apple, Google, you know, just Google it. <laughs> I'm going to be honest, I don't know what you said there. So I'm going to say it's very, it was very complimentary because the sound <laughs> went again. So I'll just, I'll just take your word for it. Sorry for you guys listening later on the podcast. I might, my, Headphones or browsers not working very well, um, but I'm just gonna I'm gonna take that as a compliment. Whatever you said there, 
Don't worry, people have stopped listening oh, to the sound about six b- months ago. You're back now, so there we go. <laughs> I was just going to say, people have stopped listening to sound months ago. Don't worry about that. <laughs> uh, but Andrew, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on, talking all the things Newcastle United, um, Takeover, Podcasts, Joe Willock and Andres Anderson. Who would have thought? Eh? <laughs> um, yes, again, this podcast will be available very, very shortly. And yes, I'm looking at... So we've put the world to write as normal, haven't we? As per, yeah, absolutely great fun. It's always nice to look back and look forward. So, and just to ultra confirm what Alan Shearer's best ever goal was. Yeah, I'm sure Marcel Desai agrees with that as well. Yeah, if you want to be because Shola turns them as well. Yeah. I mean, Shola turns them as you people forget about that, but Shola took them to the cleaners as well in the first half. So, and later on in that game, Shea given with an amazing save from Ida Johnson. Shay, if you're watching, we desperately want you on this. Call me. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, that's all going to wrap things up. So for myself, Sam Mulder and the Chronicles, Andrew Musgrove, we'll see you all very, very soon. Cheers.